loving us, Lord, um, as we pray and, 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 and just prepare our hearts for your word. Lord, I also want to pray for June Packlet, their team there in the Philippines, God, that you would comfort them, comfort June during this time, minister to her, minister to their team. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would just continue to give them wisdom and grace, God, as they are doing so much for the kingdom of God. We just thank you for Benito, his wife, Lord, the, the, the things that he accomplished. And Lord, I just, uh, as, as uh, June shared about him standing before the Lord, what is he experiencing right now? God would be so amazing. And when he left from this life, he is now, but the scripture says that to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord that he's with you right now. God, what an amazing thing. And Lord, that is all of our souls. One day we will be no more in this life. And I pray, God, that we would live to be ready to meet you. So God, comfort and touch them. And Lord, speak to our hearts this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. What do we say? Amen. So I know when you're looking at the screen and going, oh boy, this is a massive word staring at you. And uh, the negative connotation that this word can bring in our culture. A lot of people see that word or hear that word and they almost they, they think of just some angry preacher on a street corner. They think of, you know, if you are watching, if you ever watch the news and you see these people like at Westboro Baptist Church and there's this angry kind of mean, visceral idea of this word. Well, you know what? Culture has hijacked this word. This is a beautiful word and this is a biblical word and we're going to be unpacking what it means to repent and, and God's invitation, the gift of repentance that we are given. Um, as I mentioned last week, in the, in the month of August, we're going to keep this kind of RE theme. You, you, you saw it out there in the back where we have like revive, renew, restore, refresh. And, uh, and I'm, sorry, I'm, I'm just in this month, I'm actually keeping with those RE themes. And, uh, and so today we are going to be looking at the word repent. Last week we looked at the word remember and the importance of remembering what God said, what God did, the, um, the importance of us not to forget when God spoke to us or when God met us in a real way. The enemy will try to get you to forget what God said and what God did. And remembering what Christ has done keeps us on track. So we're going to look at the word repent. But actually, the, the, the prefix R-E, when you see a word, it means meaning back or again, to look back, to revisit something, to do over, to start again. And so you see that prefix R-E, that's what that means. And so, repent. Why is that word so important? Why is it essential in our walk with Jesus and coming to Jesus in relationship with Him? And again, this word has got a bad reputation. And I want to, today, as we look at it, to see a beautiful word. I, I give the gift of repentance. And it's interesting, as you look at repent and what it means, it actually is tied together with being revived and refreshed and renewed. And, and, and it, it ties together when we repent and we turn to God that those other things begin to happen in our, uh, in our lives. But I believe this, this word repent is so doctrinal and it's such a biblical idea. The Old Testament prophets, that we don't have a problem reading the Old Testament prophets and say they, they preached repentance. And they were constantly calling the people of Israel back to God, repent from your sins, you know, forsake your, forsake your way of living, forsake idolatry, forsake um, becoming your own God and turn to God. But even as we move into the New Testament, you hear John the Baptist says he's preparing the way for Jesus. 
What does he say? Repent, turn from your sins, turn to God. Even Jesus, Jesus preached repentance. He said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is here. When he came in on the scene, he was saying, this was, I, I'm, I'm the point. I am, this is the mission why we came and, and why I came. And, and, and I'm calling you to repent and turn to God. One place he says, he said, uh, become like little children. Unless you repent and become like a child, you can by no means enter the kingdom. And he's saying, the childlike faith is turning to Christ that he treats repentance. Paul treats repentance. And I think what we have to stay away from is the pendulum swinging in the extremes. You know, the enemy loves to get us to swing into the extremes, right? And so, either we see uh, repentance as harshness, God wanting to make you feel like a condemned failure, that is what it is not. The Bible says that Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And the other extreme is this, we don't really need to repent. Our culture is so obsessed with feeling positive. Pain and sorrow are to be avoided at all costs, right? That's the other end of the extreme. Now, we don't really need to repent. These are actual tweets if you're on Twitter or you see this maybe on Facebook. If you can think it, you can do it. It's not awesome. Or if this happiness begins and ends with you, right? You're the master of your own destiny, fate. You are the master, right? This sounds really good. Or sometimes people spiritualize it and they say, if you're true to yourself, God will follow you. Actual tweets on Twitter, right? That reminds me of one of the old, the license, the, the, the bumper stickers that you got as my co pilot. You know, if God is the co pilot, I don't want to be on that plane, okay? I think he needs to be the pilot. Sounds great. Those things sound wonderful. You're true to yourself, and you, you, you sounds great, but completely wrong. From a spiritual, biblical perspective, humanism reigns in our culture, and those are the forms of humanism. You are the master. You, happiness begins with you. You, 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 it's all about you. You're the center of your own world. But it's not just in the world. It creeps into the church. And we have our own version sometimes of Christian humanism. Well, sometimes we make ourselves the point of the story. You're created for greatness. True to a sense, right? Yes, we're creating the purpose and a, a plan for our lives. Yes, there can be greatness. But greatness, sometimes we, we have in our minds what that's going to look like. God's called me to greatness, and by the way, I'll tell him what that's going to look like. Or we won't say it, but we maybe will live it. But we're created by him and for him. We are created to bring him glory. Our purpose in life, in this life, we are created to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ in how we live, no matter what happens in our lives. Because things that can seem like a failure in the world, in the world's economy, God called great. The cross seemed like a great failure. It seemed like a great defeat. The disciples, they left Jesus and they were, you know, when he was talking about dying and he's going to give his life, they, they, they couldn't wrap their minds around it. They, they, they were like, this, that doesn't sound like victory. That doesn't sound like the kingdom of God coming. You've been preaching about the kingdom of God coming and now you're talking about dying. This doesn't add up. 
but the cross became the greatest victory for all of us. And what can seem like a wasted life, God in turn does something incredible with it and through it. We are created by Him and for Him. And to truly understand repentance and the need for repentance, we have to begin right there, that Jesus is the point. Jesus is the center of the story. It is all about Him. It's always been about Him. It will forever be about Him. Repentance begins with Him. It's because the question is, is there sin? Is there such thing as sin? So who decides what is sin? And these might be questions that we go, well, God, you know, of course there's sin. But it bleeds into our culture and it bleeds into the church of, that we decide that we're the center of the story, we're the master of our own destiny. Don't we start deciding what sin is and what sin isn't? I'll say what sin is. Who decides that? Who calls the shot? Who makes the standard? Is it you? Is it someone else that you listen to or read? Because it must begin with God through the man Jesus Christ. He calls the shots. He's in control. He defines what sin is and what sin isn't. Not us. Not man. If He's not doing those things in your life, you have become your own God. That's a very dangerous place to be. Some Christians believe that repentance means simply to turn around and go the opposite way. You've heard me say that. To, to, to be going this way and then turn around and go another way. That's actually just a part of the picture. It's not the whole picture. The Bible tells us that repentance is a deeper picture for us. And I hope to unpack a little bit of that today. The, the full literal meaning of the word repent in the New Testament is the word metanoia. It means to feel remorse and self-reproach for one's sins against God. To be contrite to be sorry, to change your mind about sin, to change your attitude about it, and then to change your actions in your direction. And if you catch that, true repentance includes it's a desire, it's a want to change. It's saying, I don't want my own way, and I want to follow Jesus. I want His way in my life in every area. And so this negative word that the culture has because this this word that has been hijacked by culture is actually, I believe, the most positive word in our relationship with Jesus, and it is a gift. Let's look at Acts 3 here. Let's look at this passage of Scripture. Now, you need to understand, this is um, the day of Pentecost. We talk, you know, in Acts 3, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes to the church is born. Peter is preaching a message here in Acts 3. Now, in context, you need to understand, he's talking about the good news of Christ, but he has some very strong words for the audience. He is preaching to those who were responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. These are among the crowd, are, are, are some of these among the crowd, maybe not all of them, but definitely some of them were among the crowd that were saying, give us Barabbas! Give us Barabbas. And they said, well, what do you want, Pilate? said, what do you want us to do with Jesus the Christ? Crucify him. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Let this murderer come to us and be set free. And then crucify Jesus. This 
Among the crowd are some of those people that cried out, and Peter is preaching to some of them. Because he says, he said, you released a murderer, and you're guilty of killing the prince of life, your sin. You called him out, and you killed him. Then after connecting them with the reality of what they've done, Peter says something very compassionate. So he turns, he could have just said, you know, you filthy people. I was one of his followers. He was my friend. Why did you do that to him? He said, you, you turned on the Prince of Life and you had him killed. And then he switches and he says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What a beautiful, compassionate thing that he would say to them. And so, doesn't that give you a different feeling of what the word repent? It's not an angry word. It is repent. Change your heart. Change your mind. Change your attitude. Change your direction about who Christ is. And let times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. And that He may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. You're guilty of killing Him. And now He wants to set you free. Now He wants to give you life. So He didn't condemn them. He simply called them to recognize their sin and understand that Jesus wants to restore relationship with them, to redeem them, to reconcile them, to remove their guilt, to remove their shame, to remove their condemnation. Doesn't that sound like a great exchange? He was crucified to set you free. He died for your sin. What a beautiful word that is. And so, our sin affects our relationship with Jesus. Sin affects our relationship with Jesus. There's a brokenness in the relationship. Repentance restores that. Because at the end of Peter preaching, you know, the people say this, they say, it's that they were cut to the heart, right? There's a, so there's, a, there's an emotional response. They're cut to the heart. They immediately begin to change their hearts and they say, Brothers, what do we have to do to be saved? What do we have to do? I rec- we recognize our sinfulness. And, re- and Peter says, Repent. Turn to God. And I love how he says, Repentance equals refreshing. Isn't that, isn't that cool? Repent and time to breathe. Refreshing will come from the Lord. The idea here is that our sin takes us into dry places. It's like going into a, a desert. It's taking, you know, you become the master of your own faith, which is not good thing. You become God of your own life. I will say whatever I feel like is sin or not. And we live in sin, we embrace our sin. And it, like, takes us into a place of, of the desert. And the place of repentance, then Peter says, times of refreshing comes from the Lord. It's like a, a drink of water. It's, he refreshes and restores your soul. Repentance equals refreshing. And look at what Paul says next to about this word repent. Let's go to the next one. Second Corinthians 7. So Paul, in First Corinthians, there's a few places, and this is the New Testament where Paul is calling them out on in their sin. There's some things that have gone on, and he has some strong words again that it was not to condemn them. Because the idea is that he was a spiritual father to them, 
And when we have this, when we, when we, when we get this idea of, of confrontation or loving confrontation, speaking in the truth and love, is the same calling you to a place of, of something better. God has a plan for your life. And so here's what Paul says. He says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, he's not his first letter, I don't regret it. Do you allow people to speak in your life? Do you allow people to call you out and say, I love you enough to say, I'm concerned about you. I think you're making the wrong choices. Not to bat them over the head, but to lovingly confront them. We live in such an offended culture. See, back then, it was the Church of Corinth, right? It was not the Baptist Church of Corinth, the Pentecostal Church of Corinth, the Methodist Church of Corinth. It was the Church of Corinth. They met together. There was no starting another church if you got mad. There was not another place to go to if you got offended. You had to stick it out. And so we live in an offended culture. We get in America, it's we have so many choices. If I get offended, I'll just, I'll leave you and go down to the church down the street and remove myself from you. And that's not what God wants us to do. And I'm not saying that there's a time where we shift and move, but Paul's saying, if I cause you sorrow, I don't, I don't regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, verse 9. Is it not because you were made sorry? Do you, do you hear the love in him? He said, I'm not, I'm not just trying to make you feel ashamed. It was not that. He said there was a, there was a point to it. He said, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. It led you to changing. He said, for you became sorrowful as God intended in you, so you were not harmed in any way by us. We, we're pointing it out because we care about you. That's what he's saying. Is we see you going towards the cliff, and you don't see it. And sinfulness is leading you to destruction, and what we're doing is saying, stop, don't go, don't fall off the cliff. We actually care about you. We don't want you to be destroyed. That's so why he said you weren't harmed by it. And then verse 10, God, this fellow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. I want a life. I want to live before the Lord that my repentance that I have no regret. He says what worldly sorrow brings death. And we're going to talk about the difference in a moment. But the picture here is God is with Paul as his father. And we as parents, you know, if your child was running towards something of, of danger or maybe a kid you love and they didn't get it, they didn't see it, running towards the road, running towards something maybe sharp, right? You know what you would do is you and love would you would you would remove them from that or you would remove the object or you would scoop them up and maybe even be a little firm in them, right? Don't do that. And maybe because you want to create a little shock in there that that's dangerous and they might cry and they might be offended at you that you are ruining their party. But you, as an adult, you see the bigger picture. Get that in your head when, when God is calling you out, when somebody lovingly calls you out, that maybe you don't see it. And sometimes we're blinded and we are delusional because of our sinfulness. And somebody's saying, because I love you. And God will call you out and he'll convict you through the Holy Spirit because he loves you. And Paul talks about the difference between true repentance versus worldly repentance. Worldly sorrow. True change versus death. Worldly sorrow is my consequences are an annoyance to me. My consequences are an inconvenience to me. I hate that I got caught. I need to be more careful next time. 
That's not a gift, by the way, to get away with it. Or justification. I did this, but it was because of this or this or this. Or minimizing it. It's not that big of a deal. It's really not that big of a deal. Or comparison. At least I didn't sin like you. Remember Jesus telling the story of the two guys that are in the temple? One guy is saying, you know, I don't know why he's even in there. God, thank you that I fast twice a week and I pray. And he's talking about how awesome he is. This is all the way to the Lord. Thank you, God, that I'm so great. And thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy. And there's a guy next to him, this tax collector, who's beaten his chest and God, please forgive me, sinner. And Jesus is that guy was justified, not the other one. And his own self-righteousness. And we compare. That's worldly sorrow. Or guilt and shame and condemnation that leads to hopelessness and then ultimately leads to continuing in sin because it's because of the end game. But there's godly for our truth and this is affected or is affecting my relationship with Jesus. I recognize that my sin is affecting my relationship with Jesus. And this happens in marriage to husband, wife, or your children, or maybe a, a, a family member or a close friend when you have sinned and there's, there's a breakdown when you feel remorseful, what you're trying to do is say, this is affected the relationship. And I want to restore that. But true godly sorrow is recognizing that this has affected my relationship with Jesus and he's the most important thing in my life. And I want to be restored. I want to be healed. I want to change. And so with that said, let's look at biblical repentance. We're going to go quickly through these. Number one, repentance is a change of heart. Again, we're breaking down this word that means repentance. All right, so firstly, it, it, it affects our emotions, right? We're, we're emotional beings. We're created in the image of God, and so He gives us emotions. And when we're truly sorry, there's something that happens in our hearts. It begins with heartbreak. It begins with maybe grief. And again, don't avoid these emotions. Don't take them off and, you know, well, God just wants you to be happy all the time. Yes, He wants you to be happy to the sense He wants you to be content in Him, but not happiness compared to what the culture says happiness is. And sometimes godly sorrow is a beautiful thing that we say, God, my heart is broken over my sin. Because ultimately, I've broken the heart of God. It's affected my relationship with Him. I grieve over it because it's interfering with my relationship with you. It's interfering with the plan and the purpose that you have for me. Josiah in 2 Kings 22, remember Josiah became king at eight years old. Later on, he grows up and we have this and you can look at it. I'm not going to read from that, but you know, the, 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 his father and grandfather were not good guys at all. They were kings, but they were wicked. And so Josiah comes in on the, on the deal, and then when he's, when he's a young man, he has to apply. They find the law. And so you know, the law had been put away. These are the words of God. This is the, the law. This is what, they, this is what they, they got their morality from. This is the Ten Commandments. This is what God had spoken. And so it's interesting that they had, had been gone, and they found it. So your generation's passage is pushed to the side. We don't need it anymore. We'll make our own laws. We'll make our own rules. And this is what happened over and over with Israel. We're God. We'll do a better job of being God than him. And so they find the law, and Hilkiah the prophet comes in, Josiah says, read it. And what happens is Josiah hears it, and he's grieved, and he's heartbroken, and he's heartsick over it. And he says, we, 
we have not been living the way God wants us to live. And he's, he's heartbroken over it. There's weeping. There's, like, there's this idea that we have been not listening to God's standards. We pushed away the Word of God. And so they read it, and Josiah begins to reform. He begins to tear down idols. He begins to call people to worship God again in a true and living way. But their hearts are touched because they realize that they have been calling shots. They have become their own God. Nehemiah. You know, you heard me, if you were here last fall, um, I preached this message 52, um, but uh, a message series called 52, but at the beginning of Nehemiah, you know, he, they've been captive, and the children of Israel have been scattered around the area. They've been, they've been captive because of their sinfulness, and Nehemiah gets word that the walls have been torn down, and he, you know, God calls him to leave this uh, rebuilding of the wall, but he hears about it. And again, he doesn't say, oh God, why did you allow this to happen? He understands the walls are torn down because of our sinfulness. We've chosen, God spoke to the prophets, if you follow my way, you will have peace, you will have protection. But if you go your own way, there will be consequences. You will go off the proverbial cliff. And they had gone off the proverbial cliff. And Nehemiah hears at the walls, and so he begins to weep, and his heart is touched, and he says, God, forgive us. And he begins to confess the sins, his own sins, God, forgive me. I recognize that I've been, Lord, forgive the sins of your people. We have disobeyed you and gone our own way. So repentance changes our hearts, but it doesn't stop there. Because sometimes we can just be sorry and we can grieve, and it doesn't bring lasting change, right? Have you ever been there? I have. Number two, this is the second part repentance changes our minds. It changes our minds. So it doesn't just stop with our emotions. We can grieve for a while, but it doesn't work as part of the fruits of repentance. We can go back into our own sin. That's, again, that's, that was Israel's story. They were sorry. They get rescued. Then they go their own way again. And then they go into captivity. And then they were sorry. And that's why Paul writes Romans 12, 1, 2, you know this passage. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. He says, God wants all of you. The idea of a living sacrifice, He wants every bit of you. That's complete and total surrender. Christianity is all in. Follow me. I'm leading you. I'm calling you to an all-in relationship. It is not just a Sunday thing. It's not just when I feel like a thing. Is I am all in. I don't compartmentalize my Christianity. One day I'm Christian. The next day I'm really not. I am all in every day, all the time, following Him, taking on my cross. He says, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, all of you. This is the true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. This thing. Don't follow culture. Don't let culture dictate you but be transformed by what the renewing of your... So he says, change, change begins to happen when you start changing your mind about who God is, who, the, who you are. It's a changing of our minds. What sin is? Who makes those rules? And we begin to change the way we think about who God is. Because sometimes we can think our way out of conviction if we're looking for an excuse, right? I've always found if I'm wanting to find an excuse, there's plenty of them to be had. So we're living in relationship with Jesus every day, allowing Him to dictate our thoughts. 
His word becomes our standard on sin. His word becomes our standard on what it means to be a Christian. Like Josiah, they read the law and said, get back to the word of God. And that's a picture of, yes, the Old Testament law, but now we have the word of God. That's why we desperately need to read the word and understand it. It says, she's the two of you. You make the shots. You call the shots. I'm going to live by your word, not my own spin on what the word means. Not changing this and thinking, well, does it really mean that? Does it really mean this? Does it, it says what it says. Number three, repentance changes our attitude. Let's go to the next one. Changes our attitude. So when our heart and our mind are being changed through repentance, the next step is that our attitude is changed. Again, our attitude about who God is. Um, if you ever get a chance, just a little easy to read. Don MacArthur, who's the guy that um, does a lot of Christian leadership principles, and it's a small book, a really small book. I, I encourage you to read it. It's called Attitude 101. It is a phenomenal book about our attitude and God transforming our attitude. He says in there, he said, attitude's everything. And he talked about coaching people and he was in sports. He said, give me people with the right attitude over superstars who think that the team can't live without them. He said, I will take a group of people with the right attitude and we can actually win championships over a team of superstars who think they know everything and think they don't need anybody or anything. They will, they're the man, they're the woman, whatever. So attitude is our approach on things. It's a, what does a repentant, godly attitude look like? First of all, humility. Humility. Humility is an attitude. God is in control and I am not. He's calling the shots, I am not. He gets to say what sin is, not me. And I humble myself before Him instead of living in my own pride. Godly attitude also is being teachable. I haven't arrived. I haven't learned everything there is to learn. There's so much I don't know. And, but I want to live with a teachable attitude. The Holy Spirit continues to teach me. God to teach me about who Christ is. Let me grow more and more. So humility, teachability. Look at Romans 12, 3 and 16. It says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give you each this warning. Paul is warning me. Don't think you're better than you really are. Isn't that an attitude thing? Don't think you're better. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Measure yourself by the faith God has given us. Then fast forwarding to verse 16. Live in harmony, unity with one another. He said, you, you can't live without each other. Don't run here and there. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. In other words, you're not so big and so mighty that you can't be around common, ordinary people. You're not that special. And then he says, and don't think you know it all. That's a great word for us, isn't it? Don't think that you know it. We get in trouble when we do, when we, when we get so filled with our own pride. God, help me to be humble and teachable. Help me to be learning from you. And then lastly, number four, repentance changes our actions. Repentance changes our actions. This is the ultimate fruit of repentance, Okay. You, know, you can have a change of heart, change of mind, change of attitude, but it doesn't lead to the fruit of repentance, and that is a change of direction and action. Then we miss the point. Matthew 3 this is John the Baptist. He says, prove by the way you live that you've repented from your sins and turned to God. Right? Don't just say it. Don't just tell me you're sorry. He says, prove it. 
Prove it. Now again, this is not works unto salvation. We can't do enough good things to earn our salvation. The cross it is finished. Jesus paid the price. But what John is talking about, ultimately what um, what we see Paul talking about in Acts is, is the fruit of repentance. I don't want you to just say it. I want to see it bleeding somewhere that as you are following Christ, your, your actions, your direction is changing. Because that's what Paul says, Acts 26, 20. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and then to Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preach that they should repent. It's a beautiful word. Turn to God. And then what? Demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. And we see this all the time. Some people can say that they are sorry, and if they keep doing the same thing over and over, we, we begin to question that, right? Are they truly Sorry. You know, I can walk up to you and smack you in the face and say sorry, and then smack you in the face and say sorry, and smack you in the face. At some point, you're going to what? I don't think that you're really that sorry. You might smack me back, but not sure. But Paul's getting at this idea of saying, you're being trans- transformed, you're being changed. The proof of true repentance is that, that your life is changing. Yeah, this is not an overnight thing. You know, you don't just bam, you change you. Uh, Paul says we're new creations. What is, what is changing? Things are changing about you. People wonder what has changed about you. It's that metamorphosis that you're being changed from glory to glory. It's a process. Old habits are dying, being replaced by new ones. All of a sudden, you want to live for Jesus. You want to be in relationship with Him every day. You realize your need for Him. You want relationship to be restored when you blow it. And so it leads you to action. It leads you to what Jesus would say is we, we, we begin to kill the sin, right? Run from the sin. What, what, what Paul says is flee those things that maybe stimulate you for lust. Turn off the cable. Don't watch those movies that have that kind of material in them. We shouldn't set those things before our eyes anyway. Not because we're better than, because what we're no longer capable of. And so... Just you know, we don't watch movies that have sexually charged things in them. I, I just won't do it. And they say, "Well, does that make you better?" No, because I know what I'm capable of. If I set it before my eyes. I know what the end game is. It's going to lead me down the wrong place. So I kill it. I reject it. I reject laziness. I run from those things that cause lust. I become a godly steward of my, 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 my money and my body, and I take care of myself because I love Him. So it's hard to just change our actions, and a lot of times we think of repentance, that means change your actions. No, if we don't understand that it, it changes our hearts, it changes our minds, it changes our attitudes, and that we understand that it's always been about relationship. Not just trying to, I just don't want God to be mad at me. If it, in that, and that's that growing up in that condemn, that legalism, I just don't want God to be mad at me. If that's, if that's what you're striving for, man, it just, it, that's an emptiness. It's, I love Him, and I want to do whatever it takes to stay in relationship with Him. My sin affects God. And then, let's go to the next slide, and we're going to finish with this. Why repentance? What was God's response to my sin. 
Romans 2, 4 says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? <clears throat> Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sins? That's kindness. That's why it's a beautiful word. It's kindness. When we understand His kindness, when we understand who He is and why He did what He did, we say, oh man, I want to turn to Him. I want to repent. Because ultimately, Isaiah 53 was His response to my sin. He was here for our rebellion. My rebellion and your rebellion, what did Jesus do? He was pierced for that. He was crushed first and he was beaten so he could be whole. He was whipped so he could be healed. And it says this about all of us. All of us are like sheep. Softy sheep if they fair. Sheep aren't real bright. They're cute. They're not real smart. When we're called sheep in the Bible, we don't have to have But it's the reality. All of us like sheep, we straight away, each gone to our own way. And then that's what the other translation says, each of us to our own way. That's kind of us becoming our own God. It says, we left God's path to follow our own, yet what did the Lord do? He laid on him Jesus the sins of all of us. He bore them. That's what he responded. Doesn't that make you want to repent and love him more? So that word repent, it's more than just a turning around, but it's realizing us and feeling broken in our hearts and it changes our hearts and it understands our broken relationship and it changes my heart, changes my mind, it leads to change attitude, it leads to change direction. Turning from my sin, turning from my me being God, turning from my excuses and toward Him. I love this Charles Spurgeon quote, and we'll pray. great preacher from the 1800s. He said, I trust that sorrowful penitence does still exist. Though I have not heard much about it lately. People seem to jump into faith very quickly nowadays. I hope my old friend repentance is not dead. I'm desperately in love with repentance. It seems to be the twin sister of faith. I do not myself understand much about Zion. They know that I came to Christ by the way of weeping at the cross. When I came to Calvary by faith, it was with great weeping and supplication, confessing my transgressions and desiring, desiring to find salvation in Jesus and in Jesus only. What is God speaking to you What do you need to repent from and turn to God? Allow God to testify. Allow Him to minister. Allow, when Jesus once said, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is He comes to convict us of our sin and point us to Christ. What is God speaking? You know those things. I don't have to go through a list. We know those things in our hearts. We know those things that we're struggling with, we're fighting with. And Jesus offers us this gift of gracious repentance to restore relationship with Him once again. We stand for Him like today. Lord in heaven, I, I pray in Jesus' name that we would understand that the word repent is a gift to us. A gift of repentance. That Lord, today, Lord, whatever you're speaking to our hearts, whatever you are saying, whatever you are ministering, whatever Holy Spirit you are pointing out in us, it's not for our shame, it's called to us. not to bring you sin, but it's to bring you life. It's to bring you to a place of true God is all that leads to change. Becoming more like Christ. I pray, God, that we would 
turn to you like never before, that we would understand it's all about relationship, that Lord, you, it all ends and it begins with you. You are the one who calls the shots. You are the one who says what sin is. Forgive us for justifying. Forgive us for making excuses. Forgive us for being the God of our own lives. Help us to turn to you like never before. Touch our hearts, change our hearts, change our minds, change our attitudes, and we'll change our direction that we will follow you with all of our being. But we love you. We honor you. We praise you. May we leave from here, God, today, wanting to go after you like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a phenomenal day. I uh, hope to see you tonight at the uh, family fun night across the street. Come and bring a friend of friends. And